Welcome to a special episode of Mental Radio, Introduction to Meditation Breathwork with Dr. Broderick Sawyer. The first five minutes are a guided meditation with Dr. Broderick, and then at about the five-minute mark, we do a Q&A, hear a little bit about Dr. Broderick, what he does, and tips and tricks to get started in this meditation. For the first five minutes, you'll hear a guided meditation that brings you into the breathwork. At about the five-minute mark, we start a Q&A talking about tips, tricks, uh, what's next, uh, how to use this, a little bit about Dr. Broderick and his work. And we will put up some more, uh, we're going to put up another episode that's an introduction to mindfulness that you can do after you do this meditation and also some uh, low and no cost meditation resources over at mentalhealthmedia.org slash meditation. And with that, I'll send it over to Dr. Broderick. I'll see you on the other side. So first things first, it's helpful to close the eyes and really sense your body in the chair. You might notice that you might be hunched over, you might feel a little tight, noticing your feet, noticing your hands. You really want to place your body in a comfortable position. And all you want to do is start to take deeper breaths. You really want to fill the lungs all the way up. So you really want to gradually fill the lungs more and more with each breath. You don't want to force it. Meditation is really about ease. And now as you start to get to the top of the in-breath, instead of forcing the breath out, I want you to focus on letting go of the breath. So breathing all the way in. And letting go. And then when you let go, you'll notice that your breath starts to breathe back in automatically. And here we can see that the breath is really breathing itself. And this last step, on the out-breath this time, I want you to try to relax your shoulders, neck, jaw, just whatever feels tight for you. So we're breathing all the way in and letting go of the breath, of the body. Letting the breath breathe itself back in. And then once more. You might notice 
that your awareness is picking up on more subtleties, such as the way your body might feel, the breath, sounds, thoughts, emotions. And this is really how we open our awareness. Tuning into the breath, really letting go of control. And then our mind can really see with a wider perspective. And these are the basics of practice. So you can choose to either sit in this awareness or when you're ready, you can open the eyes, come back to the room. Thank you, Dr. Broderick. As we start the questions off, um, for people who don't know who you are, could you tell mm. us a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what you do? Mm. Who am I? A very difficult question. Um, well, first, I am trained as a clinical psychologist, finished up my doctorate of clinical psychology. So I have that background, um, but also... I'm a mental health advocate, and that has a lot to do uh, with my own uh, journey, healing from trauma, depression, substance use, anxiety, uh, different things like that by using uh, meditation as a primary means, as well as different spiritual practices, um, different philosophies I sort of tried on. And uh, yeah, and I use a lot of my experiences uh, treating uh, patients with uh, trauma, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, use a lot of those experiences uh, to come to understand human suffering. And what is common, you know, to that one experience across diagnosis, across population, you know, so it's not just about, um, you know, whether someone is in therapy or has a diagnosis, it's also just about um, us as humans day to day, how do we find happiness? So a lot of these larger questions uh, I keep in mind while I'm, you know, uh, really sitting with patients doing psychotherapy, when I'm sitting and teaching meditation, when I'm in my own meditation, um, when I'm struggling with my own stuff, uh, all of these questions are really at play. And with meditation, uh, we can come to sort of study and understand consciousness and become economical, you know, in the ways that we interact with our consciousness that help us suffer less than we were suffering before. Um, so yeah, I guess that's kind of who, who I am, I guess, um, for now. Uh, but then also I have a um, very large social justice background as well. Um, so these, these two worlds really uh, collide, um, as you can probably understand, um, learning how to suffer less while also being a black man in America and interacting and interfacing with a lot of activists in the community of Louisville. Um, these are questions I kind of keep in mind. How do we prevent burnout and things like that when we are putting ourselves in, in harm's way um, emotionally, physically, um, you know, ongoing traumas nationally, globally. Uh, so meditation really plays into that. And, um, yeah, yeah, I, I could go on and on, but let's just let's stop there. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a lot right there. You've got uh, uh, therapist, uh, mental health advocate, uh, activist, helping activists stay uh, 
grounded and and healthy as possible during these turbulent times. Uh, that's certainly a lot to uh, to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, what kind of meditation did we just hear? There's a lot of people out there. They don't know anything about meditation. They did that. They had a certain experience. Tell us more about yeah. Um, yeah what we just did. Yeah. So what we just did is we on purpose slowed down our threat detection system as humans. So when humans become afraid or live in a society that makes them afraid, makes them feel insecure, um, uh, and then we have no choice really out of feeling those things, we walk around with a lot of fear in our bodies. So our alarm system or our threat detection system is more online than we might realize. Um, It's kind of like a loud alarm system that's always been on, and you don't know what it's like to hear silence because it's always been on. So in this example, when we engage deep breathing and we slow down that threat detection system, we feel relaxed all of a sudden and it feels new. And we're like, what is, what the hell is this? You know, but that is, uh, has always been available. Uh, in this particular practice uh, that we just did, um, this has been refined over the course of about four years I've been teaching. Uh, working with whether it's patients, uh, therapy patients with trauma, uh, my own trauma, um, you know, just uh, folks without any mental health diagnoses. Uh, this particular practice allows people to really slow down the fear reaction. This is about fear, this first meditation. So when we feel fear in our bodies, then our thoughts are faster. And usually we only notice really fast thoughts or maybe feeling tight or angry or agitated. Um, but that's all a sign that there's something happening in our body, something we're defending against, something we're trying to protect. Uh, so then when we start to breathe deeply, we're sending the message to our bodies that I'm safe here in this present moment. And then as we breathe deeper and deeper, what we're actually doing on a physiological level is lowering the uh, stress hormone cortisol. So deeper breaths, the volume gets turned down on that stress hormone, and then you feel that state. That's what that relaxation is. Mm-hmm. Um, and with patients, um, I rec- this is like a surefire way to get good sleep. Um, I have yet to find someone try to do this, before, you know, if someone has trouble sleeping, and then they try to do this meditation before sleeping. I have yet to find someone say, oh, yeah, no, that doesn't work. Um, because it's it's the physiological aspect. It's the biological breathe in this way, and then the cortisol uh, hormone reduces itself, and then your body relaxes, and then your mind relaxes. Um, I have some patients who do this uh, maybe a couple times times a day, Uh, and then in between the meditations, they practiced uh, just breathing and trying to maintain that state of um, uh, breath work, I would say, just making sure that they're always taking those deep breaths and maintaining that state of um, just equilibrium within their bodies. Uh, so it's a very useful practice, not just for, you know, to listen to it and move on, but to sort of rework your relationship with your breath uh, to um, feel more relaxed than, uh, than you're used to. Uh, and that's how I've experienced it as well. So I'm very aware of when my breath is breathing deeply, when I'm relaxed, uh, and then I'm uh, really aware when uh, that's not the case. So I have a sort of, um, I have a state of comparison now 
that I can use that I couldn't use before because I had only known what it felt like to be afraid until I knew what it felt like to feel safe, to be relaxed, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it allows you to sort of catch traction in the moment in what is rather than just sort of spinning out your wheels out of fear. We can't see clearly when there's fear. Um, so this isn't always, you know, a safe practice. You don't always, you know, want to be in a state of relaxation if there's a reason sure. to feel afraid. Um, but I would encourage folks to start with just, uh, you know, basically sitting in a place where you feel safe and then doing this particular practice. And so when is it appropriate? You mentioned before going to sleep. Is this something you'd recommend doing when you wake up, when you go to sleep? Is it okay to do on the bus? When should people be doing mm -hmm. uh, this kind of breath work? Mm -hmm. uh, really at all, at all times, if they would like. Really? Um, yeah. So I'm thinking uh, in particular, right, with the um, with what's going on in the country right now and also just um, you know, activism and whatnot, it may not be good to feel that relaxed you know, at a, at a really um, amped up protest that may not be the time. Um, however, uh, we want to, in between those times, be as relaxed as possible because if our yeah. fight, flight, freeze mechanism, our threat detection system is on when we're at home and there is no threat, we are wasting a lot of emotional energy, which then makes it harder uh, to maintain that level of activity. And prevent sure. so we're sort of preventing burnout from stress by um, saving as much of that threat detection fuel as we can by really trying to be relaxed whenever we can. And this breath work um, done, I would say, you know, morning night is a, is a good um, start. Um, if we do that, then we start to notice like, oh, I'm not relaxed. You know, I'm wasting a lot of this. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about this thing that I said to someone and I'm scared, you know, that they're going to reject me and this, this and that. Mm. And we have no idea what they're thinking. <laughs> we have no clue. We won't see them until tomorrow. We won't talk to them <laughs> for another week or something like that. So we're basically, you know, just fueling that energy and we're, it's not, we're going to call them. Are we going to call them? Hey, that thing that I said, well, you know, if you're not going to do that, <laughs> you know, and you're not going to let it go. Then sitting there and focusing, you know, on your thoughts, um, that's a really tricky situation. I think we've all been in and all we want to do is give our mind some grace. It doesn't know any better. It's just reacting. We feel unsafe. So then we just breathe and then we practice in this way. Then our mind starts to slow down. Then it gets easier to let things go. It gets easier oh, yeah. to say, okay, I'm done with the worrying, Broderick. You know, pop the pizza in the oven, turn on the Seinfeld, okay? And, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, you got a little scared, you're insecure, just like most humans. It's okay to feel insecure. Just breathe, let's feel safe. Okay, and all right. I'm sort of catching traction back in my life rather than in my fears. See what I'm saying? And the breath is a very fast way to get to that state rather than arguing back with your thoughts. You're sort of uh, removing the fuel for the thoughts in the first place by reducing the fear in the body through the breath. When you're working with clients uh, to teach them meditation, what are some pitfalls that uh, mm -hmm. when you're starting with breath, breath work that people can find themselves in? Mm -hmm. um, using it at the wrong times. Mm -hmm. So if someone has never, so someone's listening and they're like, oh, meditation, 
that would be fantastic for when I get panic attacks or fantastic uh, for when I'm having a traumatic reaction, you know, and then they'll try to do this kind of breath work um, when they're in that reaction, having never done it before. And then they're trying to force themselves to relax in any sense of forcing, especially when a reaction is really heightened, isn't helpful unless you're a more experienced meditator. Um, but even then, what I would say is practice when you're not stressed. So then when you are, that muscle is available. Uh, it's kind of the, the example is, um, you know, if I'm playing basketball, uh, you know, practicing free throws, you know, in my backyard, uh, then I'm practicing and there's nothing really going on around me. You know, I wouldn't go practice for the first time in a live game situation with the championship on the line. Like, that, that doesn't make sense. You know, I'm not getting my fundamentals down. We go fundamentals first. There's low pressure. Um, that's why, you know, prescribe morning, night. Um, and then when you're being triggered, you're having that stronger reaction. You practiced enough to have that sort of muscle to remember, oh, uh, this is a reaction. Let me just ease into my breath. I'm not going to force myself to relax, but let me just, okay. And you might notice, oh, wow, I can only get a little bit of breath in as I'm noticing I might have some panic. That's okay. We're just okay. We're just trying to stay grounded, you know, noticing, noticing. But that comes from a lot of practice. So if anything, it's just practice, practice, practice when you're not stressed. Um, and then uh, a lot of those pitfalls are way less likely to happen. Um, however, if you're ever noticing that you're doing this practice and you're feeling a sense of panic, you're feeling a sense of trig being triggered or anything like that, just stop immediately. Stop immediately. Slow down. You know, um, you don't want to force yourself to feel relaxed. Um, and usually those types of panic or trauma-based responses um, are for people. There happen um, to people that, that might be a sign that you might need some therapeutic support. Um, so also keep the, keep that in mind. If I teach non-clinical populations, usually none of these things, and when I say usually, I mean 100% of the time, um, none of these um, more panic-based reactions happen. Um, but if you are dealing with something that you might need help with, that's when these reactions might be difficult. And that's happened a couple of times. So I'll teach someone non-clinical. They'll be like, oh man, I felt like this sense of panic and this and that. And then they'll come up to me afterwards and be like, well, these, this is what's going on for me in my life and this and that. And every single time it's like, this person probably needs some therapeutic support and got some stuff, mm -hmm. stuff you need, you know, you've yet to, um, yet to work through. Um, and then I'll um, sort of make those recommendations accordingly. Um, right. Yeah. But this is also appropriate for people that do have a diagnosis. I mean, I'm a bipolar guy, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I meditate twice a day every day. Mm -hmm. Of course, of course. Just more so, um, you know, just uh, take the uh, do no harm oath, you know what I mean? The Hippocratic oath, that's really what the, you know, I think the over-explaining is a little bit for me. Um, I just want to make sure that folks don't um, just try to use it uh, in times of heightened stress right. it doesn't work and then oh meditation isn't for me because you, know, you might mm -hmm. see you might see that right so sure. we're just sort of outlining i guess um how to use this very powerful tool um in a way that's most helpful for folks and um, also just understanding 
everything uh, that possibly could happen, although I believe that those those things are relatively unlikely, especially with this practice. This is a very basic uh, kind of practice. It's more accessible than other types of meditations that I might teach, um, for example, looking directly at thoughts if we're doing that and we have a trauma background, that's very difficult to do if we haven't worked through some of those things because those thoughts can be rooted in trauma. Um, so this breath work is a great starting place to set that foundation of safety within the body, within the mind. And we'll put up some resources for people over at mentalhealthmedia.org slash meditation. Um, but what are some next steps for people uh, besides listening to the next uh, meditation in the series and checking out mentalhealthmedia.org slash uh, meditation? Um, what are some things uh, people can do? What should they keep in mind as they're doing breath work and they're kind of getting the hang of it? Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is set up a ritualistic practice. So if you're going twice a day, same two times during the day, um, once a day, same time every day. And what you want to do uh, is you want to savor the mindful awareness. Okay. So as you breathe and you slow down and you feel safe, you kind of want to bathe in that feeling of safety so that you remember it. You remember what that feeling feels like. Um, so each morning, you know, I, I sit down, I do my practice, and then I just sort of bathe in that awareness. I have my cup of tea with it. Um, I might think about certain things um, about my life. I might reflect on how I'm feeling, um, different things that I'm still working on in my life, whether it's um, relationships, you know, that which are difficult because of my traumatic background, different things like that, because you have this clarity, this insight that comes from being relaxed and you can see clearer and you want to get used to that awareness. So what I recommend is really after you meditate, sit for a bit and just appreciate that feeling of being relaxed and make that a part of your ritual. Uh, And then the meditative awareness, it grows into other areas of your life if you're learning to engage with it and really notice it in that way. Um, Because I do know a lot of folks who will just meditate and then, okay, I'm done. Time to hop on and read all my emails and get really stressed out and, you know, identify with all my thoughts and not breathe at all. (laughs) And that's, you know, or just like, all right, I'm just going to fall asleep. Okay, do my meditation to fall asleep. That's all it does and nothing else at all, right? And you can use it that way if that's how you want. Um, But I would say to get the full benefits, um, we really want to learn what it feels like to have a mind and body that's relaxed and how that mind engages with the world differently than the mind that is uh, sort of restless and moving too quickly. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's all I would suggest for now, especially with this basic practice, just keeping it simple, practicing and really noticing it. Journaling helps for you to keep track. How did I feel after I did that meditation, you know, or, um, or even noticing that, yeah, okay, Dr. Broderick's voice, it's nice and all the first couple of times, but now I'm just annoyed. Uh, then you can just do the breath work, you know, as taught without any, any meditation um, sort of track on. Um, so you start to find your own way and how you like to meditate. I'm really just here to teach the mechanics of, um, of fear, of relaxation, and then um, in other meditations, sort of the mechanics of the mind. If you're out there listening to this and you get tired of Dr. Broderick's voice, I want you to send me a DM because I don't believe that that person is out there. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Broderick. I think this is going to help uh, a lot of people. And uh, yeah, at home, um, please tune in to part two of uh, of our series. Uh, what is that one called uh, again, Dr. Broderick? Um, Becoming the Observer? Becoming, Becoming the Observer. We're going to deal with the mind. Yes, yes. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for your time and your work, Dr. Broderick. Right. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what you heard, consider supporting us over at mentalhealthmedia.org, where you can see all of our content, subscribe to our feeds. Um, you can make a tax-deductible contribution. And uh, we've got some merch. We've got some T-shirts and some stickers um, if you want to represent Mental Radio and what we're doing here. Um, as always, we are executive produced by AV Flocks, with a special thanks to Tom Trottier, Tamara Broadhead, and Patrick Mohan. Um, special thanks... To all of the GoFundMe supporters, thanks to everybody who, who contributed, including Mecky M, Carolina P, Ryan P, Chip and Nads, Mithal D, Tall Paul M, uh, Joel R, Ben G, Vinny R, Patty M, Sean H, Linda E, Frank G, John P, Sophia M, Jackie M, Rob S, Rose P, Jeannie A, Handy H, Tim W, Stephanie P, Patrick L., St Stephen J, Judy B, David L, Stuart M, Jim E, Cass G, and Sean D, The Smo, uh, Alex B, Marilyn S, Colin F, Lauren B, Patricia M, Phil A, and Ivan M. Um, so thanks for listening. Yeah, join the list, mentalhealthmedia.org. Um, you can make a, a donation. We've, our fiscal sponsor is the Northwest Film Forum. Every donation also helps them, which uh, super important right now to support, uh, keep our arts organizations alive that help uh, amplify marginalized voices and do a really good job at it. Uh, Northwest Film Forum is our last one kind of left here in Seattle, and they do a lot of good work. Um, so every, every, uh, every time you donate to us, it can also, uh, contribute to them. Um, until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Um, I will see you. Zai Gesundheit.